Now, hold up, Netflix. Now, I've known for a while that they were going to start cracking down, as a matter of fact, pretty much eliminating account sharing, but I've already been locked out. As of the first of the year, I was locked out. I haven't used Netflix since the first of the year unless I go to Lindsay's house. And yet I'm hearing that people still have their account sharing and that might not lose theirs until March. What's the deal? Why am I first on the chopping block? It's all piecemeal, brother. It's all piecemeal. Now, I've only stuck around because, yes, I've been sharing with an ex-girlfriend, which, hey, let's be real here. We've been done for four years, and I've still been using her account. That's a pretty good run. That's a really good run. Uh, I, I've only stuck around for Cobra Kai. That's one of, like, three shows Netflix has going for it that's lasted a while. Stranger Things is another one. And honestly, I'm going to be real with you. I kind of got hooked on the first season of Bridgerton, thanks to Lindsay. She started watching it kind of randomly one day. I was like, okay, this is a little bit more interesting than I thought it would be. And it, she she first got me hooked because they were playing songs like the the band or orchestra, whatever you want to call it, was playing like modern songs. And of course, it's a show that takes place during the Tyrant King George era. And I was like, oh, okay, I recognize some of these songs. And then I got Hooked in the storyline is like, dang it, I was not supposed to get hooked on Bridgerton. And yeah, I did. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale. Just us two today. Troy is running the board. He's doing an excellent job so far. But here to kick off the show, which by the way, today, it's Farmageddon Part 1 when it comes to the hoops. As the Cats are at number 12, Iowa State. 5 versus 12. This isn't the NCAA tournament. This is just a regular season game. From Hilton Magic, Hilton Coliseum, tipping off at 8. Pre-game starts at 7 with Wyatt Thompson and Stan Weber on the call. And we are pleased to be joined by Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register. Randy, I'm actually going to first off by talking about uh, asking you about football because even though I'm bitter because I'm a Cowboys fan, Brock Purdy <laughs> outplays Dak Prescott, and now he's one of the most talked-about stories of, of uh, NFL football these days, obviously less than DeMar Hamlin, but Brock Purdy has been the feel-good story. So I want to ask you off the bat here, does he get revenge over Jalen Hurts on Sunday? Yeah, how about that? How about that? How many people remembered that? My gosh. Um, what was it? Golly, I'll, I'll never forget that 2019, or what year was it? 2018, I think, game um, down at OU. Yeah, I don't know whether he gets revenge. It's that's. I don't think either quarterback, or at least if if, if – the 49ers win, it's not going to be because of Brock. It's going to be because of Brock manages the game, obviously, but there's so many playmakers around him, and I'm not professing to be a, um, a, a astute about the NFL, trust me, but, but, um, there's just so many players around, around Brock that all he's got to do is, heck, you and I could do that, hand off the ball and, and throw it to George Kittle, um, and make have another good feel good story about a Cyclone and a Hawkeye getting together, but uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it but it's it's certainly exciting for for people around around these parts. Um, we're as you know we're split with our loyalties in the state Iowa and Iowa State, and uh, um, with Purdy throwing to uh, to Kittle, that that just kind of. That kind of makes every, pulls everybody together, so it's just kind of a cool story. Yeah, for those who don't remember, I was referencing the uh, 
the Oklahoma Iowa State game that was in yeah. Norman and and Iowa State was down like gosh two or three touchdowns and they were down twenty one going to, going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, and Iowa State that decided to go for a two point conversion to try to win the game in the final moments, and I, uh, Oklahoma got that interception in the end zone to uh, win the game by and one. Iowa State, fans are, Iowa State fans still sting about that. They said it was it was should have been pass interference and and ball at the one yard line, but that's neither here nor there. No referee's going to call that in the end zone on the last play of the game on a two point conversion pass. It's going to all that's going to decide the outcome of a game. But uh, especially at OU, but uh, yeah, I mean it was, it was a, it was that was an epic game. That was that was an epic. I mean it was it was an instant classic. Speaking with Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register, who will be in Ames tonight for the Cats and and Iowa State. Uh, let's start out with uh, when you know breaking down this Iowa State team and what's made them so good this year. Do have a couple of injuries with Iowa State. You reported yesterday that Caleb Grill uh, with a back injury is is doubtful for tonight. How big of a loss would that be for Iowa State? That's a pretty big loss. Um, Iowa State is 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 shooting the three the three ball pretty well this year for I mean for Iowa State um, for at least for Iowa State recently. Sure, the identity is still is still on defense, but Iowa State has been has been shooting the three pointer um pretty well and, and, and Caleb's a big a big uh, a big part of that. Um he's the leading three point shooter on the team. He leads the team in minutes. Um he's a third leading scorer. Um so yeah that's 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 kind of a big loss for Iowa State. He's a he's a a veteran. Um and yeah that's a that's a that's a pretty good loss for Iowa State and I'd be surprised if he plays I mean, the back thing. He did not practice and um, yesterday, and, and I, 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 I think he left the um, Oklahoma State game. He, he couldn't play the whole Oklahoma State game, and when he was out there, he looked he looked very limited in in, in what he could do. So the best thing for him is to um, is to just get some rest. And you know, the season's not going to make or break tonight on who wins and who loses. Trust me, you know that. And then Iowa State's other injury is, and they've played with that for about a month. Is Jazz Coons, who's another three point shooter. He's about he's a six eight wing guy uh, who was on the team last year. He was he was in the forties percent three point shooting last year. He didn't shoot. He just didn't shoot enough of them. But but uh, he's got a he's got a broken finger. It's it's been six weeks maybe um, four weeks six weeks something like that. But they say they say he'll be back or he hopes to be back February fourth at home against uh, against KU. So Iowa State's going to have to have, have a lot of players. Um, Step up and, and uh, um, you know Caleb Caleb Grill getting back to him Caleb Grill probably the best athlete on the team the best all round athlete on the team and yesterday TJ made a big point that that it's going to be very very important against against K State um, you know more so against anybody in the, almost as much as anybody in the conference to get back on defense and to stop their transition so um, and Caleb would be very uh, would have been very important on that because like I said he's the most athletic guy on on Iowa State so. We'll see how we'll see what happens. I would say it's going to have to have a bunch of guys step up though and, and fill in the void for for Caleb. I'll tell you that. Well, Iowa State with 14 wins, four losses, number 12 in the country, and a team last year that was in the top 10 for a brief moment, but they've made a climb back in the top 15, like K State has, just a little bit, maybe a little bit of a slower pace. 
They did, however, lose last Saturday to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, 61-59. It was a a rough second half for the Cyclones where they led by 16, and the Cowboys shoot 61%, and that's a team that's not very good offensively has that is that such a rare thing to see especially now with tj otzelberger as the head coach to see just that kind of struggle in the second half yeah that was that was really rare i mean i was and the way it happened like you said it was it was oklahoma state 60 percent shooting 60 plus percent shooting and iowa state has 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 thrived with defense under with tj um the last two years um which is kind of um new for some Iowa State fans. I mean, they're used to watching Johnny Orr's teams get up and down. If they lose by one point, that's fine as long as it's 199. Or or watching Fred Hoiberg's teams that got up and down the floor and played and shot it and, and defense was an afterthought. But but uh, with TJ, it's it's all about it's all about defense. So um, for that for that part of the game to break down in the second half at at Oklahoma State, which is not exactly the roughest place on the planet to play, because um, it's a. I think it's a battle between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma to see who has the fewest people at games. Um, um, but uh, it was it was uh, um, that was very uncharacteristic of Iowa State not to to play defense in the second half. Now, when it comes to the guard play for Oklahoma State. You know, two guys this season I've been really impressed with. Both, well, one transferred in last year, the other this year from St. Bonaventure, Jalen Holmes, and then Gabe Kalsher, his second year with the Cyclones. Seems like you know, game in game out, one of them is is going to get hot and score some points. But what makes them deadly? Like when they're going, what is making them get going, and what do they do so well? Well, for Gabe, it's two it's it's two prong. He's a, he's probably the best on ball defender that Iowa State has. And he's also he's also very very good. Uh, he's a streaky shooter at, at at shooting perimeter shots. When he was a freshman at at uh, at Minnesota, he was a forty four percent three point shooter, and he shot a lot of them. So I mean, he but last year for some reason it just it just didn't click the three point shooting, and this year it it is. So he's been important for Iowa State, and he'll be especially important tonight. And 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 you, and you mentioned Jaron Holmes. Jaron Holmes is a guy you can plug in about any place. He can play four positions. He's six four two ten. He can play. He can play four positions. <clears throat> Iowa State's got a freshman point guard, Damon Lipsy, who, like a lot of freshmen, can get into foul trouble. If that happens, then Jaron Holmes moves off the ball and onto the ball as, as a point guard. So his shooting potential goes down if he's if he's if he's playing point guard, but. His 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 main position is off the ball, and he's a pretty good shooter. He's a good scorer. Um, so that's it's just his interchange. It's Holmes's interchange interchangeability. I don't know whether that's a word or not, but um, he can, the ability to do a lot of things. Iowa State's getting getting the most out of that um, um, that they can. Speaking with Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register. Speaking of transfers, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pronounce his name. It's the center Oshun Oshuni. Did I nail it? Boom! You nailed it. Yes. Good job. All right. We're, just, gets... calling We're just calling him Shun. Okay. I'm just Shun. Yeah. Makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, he's a state Bonaventure guy too. Uh, as a public address announcer, I'm going to need to know how to say his name. I guess the question is because I, I knew when he transferred in, he like he was known as a scorer, of course, but also like a shot blocker. How well does he fit into the defensive identity of Iowa State? I, he has he's fit in he's fit, he's fit in very well. Um, he, he's he's st- 
starting to become the shot blocker that I that I expected him to become. Earlier in the season, he wasn't. Um, but as as they as Iowa State gets as we get into the the Big Twelve competition and teams think they can go go right at him at the at the to the basket, yeah, he's starting to swat more balls and more shots away. So and certainly he's in, <clears throat> he's intimidating people from coming into the lane. So. Um, he's he's been very good, and he's on an uptick right now. His his both on both ends. I mean, his scoring has been <clears throat> his scoring from inside um, the paint has been very good, and and defensively, like you like you mentioned, has been has been very good too. And Iowa State Iowa State needs that, and they're especially going to need it tonight because because the Kansas State like to get up and down the floor, and, and Shun can can rim run as well as any big man in in the in the Big Twelve. So. Um, it's just, he's got to rebound though. He's got to rebound because that's where that, that, that transition game starts for, for both teams, but he's got to rebound for sure. So he's been playing very well. It's a, it was a, it was a, a wonderful, um, get for uh, the St. Bonaventure going to St. Bonaventure and getting both Holmes and Shun. That was, that was, um, good for TJ, good job for TJ. Yeah, it's the best recruiting class, right? In, uh, in Iowa state history. Yeah, and he's got good. He's got good guys coming. I mean, he's got a he's got a four star, five star, four star Omaha Blue from right here in in, in mm. the Des Moines area. Um, he's, I mean, this guy could be one and done. I mean, he's he's very good. Um, so then got guys coming in around him. Um, so I don't I don't look for as many. Uh, I mean, it's not like he's never he's not going to go back to the portal. Trust me, but he, it might not be eight guys or whatever it is. Um, he's he's gradually building towards towards high schools but but you know then Mitch as well as anybody that you get a good high school guy anymore and it could be just one and done um you know so you kind of roll the dice on on that but uh TJ's got got a couple good classes coming up 23 classes going to be good and and the 24 class is supposed to be good too Randy got a couple more for you uh later on in the show I'll just I, I do what I usually do in every case a game I'll break down the opponent and give a prediction I was looking at the numbers and you know player by player and I just I didn't feel like I, I found a whole lot of weaknesses on this team. Like there's not one area that I'm just like, dang, I, Iowa State's not that good there. Do you have something that you could give me that would be considered a weakness of Iowa State's? I don't know if it's a weakness or not, but I keep your eye on on Damon Lipsey tonight, the point guard. Um, that that's going to be interesting to, to see how how he comes back from from a loss last last Saturday. Um, he's been playing very well. He's been playing exceptionally well, but I just you know keep an eye I, I keep an eye on him, um, and and Iowa State's shooting could be could be a weakness as well. I mean, not at just one position, at all positions. Um, if uh, if they somehow revert to last year and, and and can't hit the basket, that could that could be a big problem. I am expecting a low-scoring game with the way Iowa yeah. State plays defense, and also they they slow it down offensively, right? They don't get out and run very often. They don't force it, but but they'll 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 uh, um, they'll get up and go. Yeah, but but like I said, they're not going to force it. They're not going to have seventy-five possessions a game or or you know whatever. I'm, it's probably going to be if both both teams if both teams score it in the sixties, that'll be that's pretty much what I what mm-hmm. I expect it to be. Yeah, dogfight, absolutely. A good one tonight in, uh, in Allen, or uh, Allen, uh, Hilton Coliseum, <laughs> Hilton Magic. Uh, K-State will play in Allen in, in a week, but uh, are we expecting a sellout tonight? Yeah, I think I think so, but um, I, I'm pretty sure it will be. Mm-hmm. Iowa State, the students are back. Um, 
and uh, they sold out last, whatever it was, last Tuesday against uh, Texas. And there was more motivation there. I mean, it was Texas that's going to the SEC, and, you know, Iowa State students are very well of that. And plus, it was the, the homecoming, so to speak, of, of Tyrese Hunter, who took off and, and uh, transferred to uh, Texas at the after last season of starring for Iowa State last season. So, yeah, they and they, they got pretty pretty uh, pretty wound up last week and I, last Tuesday. And I, I expect the same thing, the same thing tonight. Yeah, I think there's no doubt this will be the rowdiest crowd, other than, of course, the fans here in Manhattan yeah. at, uh, at Bramblers. This will be the, the rowdiest environment that this K-State team has seen so far this year. But, Randy, I really appreciate your time. It's great to talk to you again, and I uh, hope to talk to you down the road. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for, for having me. That's Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register helping us preview the Iowa State Cyclones. Hilton Coliseum tonight, number 12, number 5 at 8 o'clock. Pre-game starts at 7. I'll dare I say that this is probably as uncomfortable of a game that I have felt about uh, going in, knowing how Hilton has played over the years. Yeah, they're missing... Of course, Caleb Grill. Yes. But they have a sixth man tonight yes. in a sellout crowded Hilton Coliseum. That is going to be a tough environment, and it's going to be back-to-back road games for K-State. Not back-to-back games, but back-to-back road games of Hilton and Allen. Back-to-back dealing with the craziest road environments that they mm-hmm. will see all of this season. And coming up in, in the second hour, kind of a breakdown of the next five games for K-State on why I call it the toughest stretch for K-State this season. Also, KU losing again. We'll touch on that in the second hour as well. But coming up next, since it's our first Tuesday show in three weeks that we're going the full two hours, I got to bring back the top ten list. That's up next on the game. Alice Cooper bringing us back into the game. 537-1350 is the phone number. Kind of weird with the show this week. Thursday and Friday is kind of up in the air on what's going to be taking place. Uh, with a lot of high school hoops taking place. It is midseason tournament action. Manhattan boys playing on a random Thursday. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. We do know we will be on the air for a couple of hours tomorrow. Mitch Holtz's voice of the Chiefs scheduled to join us in about 24 hours and 10 minutes from now. And, of course, number 5 Kansas State at number 12 Iowa State tonight. 8 o'clock tip-off, 8.05 to be exact. They may flex it a couple of of minutes to 8.07 like they did yesterday for KU Baylor. And uh, pregame starts at 7 here on K-Man. Also, I will point out the game is televised on ESPNU. And I looked at the schedule because I saw a lot of people complaining about KU, K-State, the rematch in Allen a week from tonight will be on ESPN+. Yes, I understand that is... Very annoying. As brought up yesterday, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, ESPN probably feels like, oh, this is a big game. We can't put both of the rivalry matchups on ESPN Plus, but let's get us a few more subscribers, a few more folks paying seven or eight bucks to watch the game. I, I think part of it, though, still remains. They looked at what last year's records were and basically felt like that they could get by going ahead and doing that. Well, I mean, K-State hasn't been very competitive. Right. And in so Allen I think House after close ones in Manhattan. So much of the, well, that and just so much of the scheduling is done so far ahead of time as it pertains to basketball that it just is one of those where they look at the, what the records are from a year ago and 
make their programming decisions accordingly. I looked at the schedule and I was like, mm, I wonder if K-State has any more games on ESPN. Not two, not you, not plus, just regular ESPN. They don't. There's mm-hmm. not a single game left on the schedule mm-hmm. that is going to be on ESPN. Two, you, or, or plus is where you'll go. Of course, we're also in that strange bit of things where you wind up on Sunday afternoons where they're showing some women's basketball now on ABC. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah. You know, but, UConn, Stanford, South Carolina, those teams. But we're not getting men's games on ABC on Saturdays anymore, and I wish that they'd get back to doing that. I do love the CBS broadcasts. Oh, CBS is so good. And Bill Rafferty. I love Bill Rafferty. He might be my favorite color guy. He's very good at it. I don't know what my favorite play-by-play is. You know, Bob Wischusen is my favorite, of course, football play-by-play. He still does a pretty good job with basketball. Mm -hmm. I just don't think he's on location. I think he does it from New York or wherever he lives. Probably. Well, I mean, right now he's finally freed up on his schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the Jets were frauds just a little bit more than the Giants. Actually, a little bit less, because the Giants made the playoffs. They right. made it to the divisional round and got thumped by the Eagles. The Eagles are just great. I think you know the Giants did what they had to do to get there. So did the Cowboys. Speaking of the Cowboys, you ready for my top ten list? Sure. Are you, are you ready for the return of the top ten list? Please tell me it's the top ten Mitch frustrations with the Pokes. You know, it's not too oh. far off. <laughs> Uh, it's my top 10 reasons why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan. <laughs> number 10. I'll be honest, I kind of needed a filler with number 10, but I, I've, I've had this issue for a long time. I've never been happy about it. And that's just the design of the stadium. It's once or twice a year they have a 325 kickoff, and the sun's out, and the dang windows on the on the west side of the stadium has the sun just blaring through. What's the point of a dome? What's the point of a stadium like that with so much money poured into it that the sun can just welcome its way in with the 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 biggest bay window I've ever seen? He uses curtains for other events. There, Jerry does. So why do you not use them? Because that would be very ugly on a televised event. That would be suit. That would make the stadium look ugly. Then he shouldn't have put the dang things in. Well, actually, my biggest issue, honestly, though, is the roof, the the retractable roof. How dare you build something that takes six hours oh, to open up? That that's the old Sky Dome, man. That's the that's yeah that that's reverting to old times. Number nine. Number nine reason why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan is because now the Chiefs are good. For a while, like, even though the Cowboys would, you know, like, every so often, like, maybe every other year to be lucky, would make the playoffs, the Chiefs were never good enough to make the playoffs. So even if Dallas snuck in, I still had, in a way, bragging rights over all my friends that are Chiefs fans. But clearly, no duh, that has changed. And I'll get to more of that here in a little bit. Hey, try me a Broncos fan. Well, at least you won one. Seven? Is it seven years ago now? Uh, yeah. he, uh, almost ten years ago now. Because this is Super yeah. Bowl 57, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they won Super Bowl 50. 50. Yep. Shout out to Peyton. Shout out to him. Shout out to the Mannings. All right, again, I'm going to play the number again. Number eight. Number eight. I enjoy, I think I enjoy listening to Tony Romo do color than watching Dallas play a playoff game. Because it is... Most of the time, watching a divisional round game, and 
Okay, so Dallas beating Tampa Bay the way that they did was probably once in a lifetime for me. Mm -hmm. To see just an absolute butt-kicking, an offensive explosion like that in a playoff game, be lucky if that ever happens again. I love Tony Romo as a, as a color analyst. I think since day one, yes, he you know needed some work, but he is. I think he's really done a better job of getting better. And the way he does X's and O's and breaks things down, I think he's the best. And also, you know, Greg Olson. Greg Olson really proved during the. Uh, I thought during the uh, the Forty ers Cowboys game that he he's been doing a really good job with mm-hmm. color. But now I'm like. Tony Romo, I'll take it. Watching Cowboys struggle through a playoff game, I can't take it any longer. Number seven. Number seven reason why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan, speaking from my, of course, personal opinion, that Dallas still goes by the nickname America's Team. Does anybody want to watch America lose and fall <laughs> short every year? That's not what America does. America wins. America is winners. Wow. A near-perfect winning percentage for America, I may say so. Plus, doesn't like Texas doesn't want to be a part of America anyway. Right? Valid. Don't they want to bounce, be their own country? It's not good representation for America. Something about the Constitution. And if you don't know the story... I mean, Dallas has been America's team since the 70s, but that's because it started from NFL films, and it was, I can't remember who said it, but basically the way it was was back in the day, because Dallas was so covered as from the media, mm-hmm. and also televised, televised way more than anybody, that it was it was said that, you know, Dallas Cowboys players were more recognized than movie stars. I asked the question yesterday morning, actually, uh, can we please have a presentation of a Cowboys game in the playoffs where they're not rivals with X, Y, and Z teams? I think that it gets overplayed that there's a rivalry, quote-unquote, with the Niners. Problem is, Packers games tend to be the same way in the playoffs. The United States men's national soccer team, I think, has a better chance of making a run in the World Cup than Dallas does in the playoffs. Wow. 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 Now that's a statement. Number six. Number six, and I think I'll just have to say these two words and it will explain itself. Skip Bayless. (laughs) He is the media slash talking head representation of the Dallas Cowboys, and he's the worst. The absolute worst. And it's not just his TV show. What's it called with Shannon Sharp, whatever it is, Skip and... Am I, is that the right show? That's the right yeah. show, right? It's Uninterrupted. On FS1? Uninterrupted, yeah. yeah. Awful. Well, His takes are usually skilled. pretty awful. And he's just like most Dallas Cowboys fans. Annoying. Now, I will say most. Uh, there's a lot of NFL fans, and it's not just the Cowboys fan base that are annoying. I mean, that's got to be the most annoying fans in sports, NFL, at least in my opinion. But, man, is he one of the top ones. I hate that representation for the Cowboys. Skip Bayless, because he used to be a former beat writer for the mm-hmm. Cowboys. And I, I don't know if he's from that area, but I would guess and say that he is. But as a Cowboys fan, and because of the bandwagon, the run in the 90s, 
of course, that fan base has stretched across the country. Scoop. Number five. Number five on my list on reasons why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan is because we get punched in the gut every single year. Like, imagine this. Like, like let's pretend like K-State every year in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament or basketball is either on the bubble or sneaks in and gets eliminated in the first or second round every year. Like, wouldn't that take a lot from the success of basketball at K-State if they didn't go on those a couple of elite eight runs? I think things would be a lot different. You still have your conference championships, but the elite eight runs were pretty big mm-hmm. and pretty important. Mm-hmm. And Dallas is that way every year. They're either sneaking in or they're eliminated in the first couple of games. Like, I look at the wild card slash divisional round. It's like the first and second round of the NCAA tournament. NFC Championship is like the Elite Eight, and then, you know, Final Four or whatever. And the National Championship is the Super Bowl. Those two weeks leading up into playing the Super Bowl. And they haven't been there since 1996. All right. Number four. Number four on my list of uh, reasons why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan. Everybody makes fun of us. Everybody likes to make fun of us. When we're down, we're getting stomped on. Listen, I've seen the memes. It's memes more than anything these days. As a matter of fact, I remember some I just recently saw this this week, or like the last couple of days. Allow me to repeat some of these memes that I've been seeing. One of them was a picture of Stevie Wonder singing. That's the picture. With the caption, Dallas is looking good in 2023. Another one is a photo of uh, Chad Kroger of Nickelback from the uh, you know the um, the picture from the music video photograph where he's holding up a photograph. Mm-hmm. The caption reads, "Look at this quarterback. Every time I do it, makes me laugh." <laughs> you jerks! Uh, I did send you the uh, one that was uh, about the star. I sent you that one a few weeks back, didn't I? I don't remember where where it's the that it's a that it's really just a rating. No, I don't remember. Oh, okay, yeah, where the star on the helmets is really just the rating. Oh, what, like one star. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, it, it, ringing a bell now. Yeah, uh-huh. bully. Send that. It's being a bully, Troy. And the last one I saw, at least the most memorable of the three, was a picture of three women. One. A Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, young, and on the sides of her taking the picture are a couple of senior citizen ladies. The caption reads, a current Dallas Cowboys cheerleader with cheerleaders from the last winning season. I mean, absolute a-holes. <laughs> Kicking us while we're down. Everybody, you're all bullies. <laughs> Number three. On my list of top ten reasons why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan Jerry Jones. Honestly, I'm impressed you're not number one with that. Well, okay, so here's like when I first think of Jerry Jones, obviously I think of the picture of him with the ladies and he's grabbing their breasts and that kind of turned into a controversy, which somehow fizzled away. I've never really been happy as for as long as I can remember with the coaches that have been hired. Even Jimmy? Well, okay, well. 
but still, that that was a big falling out, right? There was a yes. mutual agreement to part ways. Yes. I mean, did Jimmy not just win you a couple of Super Bowls and then uh, 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 so uh, Schweitzer came in and won the next one? It's amazing what arrogance and whiskey will do. Yeah, losing him sucked, and then Jerry. I don't, maybe they have decided to bury the hatchet, and because Jerry Jones finally putting him in their ring of honor, which is geez. But I mean, Bill Parcells was way past his prime. Great coach in the '80s, not so much in the 2000s. Uh, Wade Phillips didn't stand a chance. Jason Garrett had his job probably four years longer than he should have. And then Mike McCarthy, who is also way past his prime, has now been outcoached in two straight divisional round games. To get to a Super Bowl, you need a, a coach in his prime, a coach that didn't get fired like Mike McCarthy. And then, of course, you know, all the botches with trades and neglecting the issues with the offensive line for a number of years on a couple of occasions. Go back to the early or the late 2000s and the early 2010s. There was a big neglect on the offensive line. Now, it's been better this year. The offensive line has been better this year. And to me, it's super sad that Dallas has the talent that it has this year and still couldn't find a way to get to an NFC championship game. I think Dallas has is, is got a ton of talent. Amazing talent. Got probably two of the best players defensively in the NFL. Dak Prescott is has the ability to throw it all over the yard and then is a choke artist against the 49ers. It is insane to me how that couldn't work out this year. Which leads me to my last two. Number two. I am delusional just like every other Cowboys fan, because I have been groomed and probably brainwashed, part of which is Jerry Jones, a lot of what I read every year from the media, that Dallas has what it takes to make it to a Super Bowl every single year. It doesn't matter if it's after a 6-10 and 10 season or 12-4. and four. doesn't matter the results in the postseason, which they've made it to 12 in the last 26 years. And haven't made it past the divisional round. I am delusional. And so is every other Cowboys fan that thinks they can make it every year. Because every year we're, we look like idiots. Look like absolute idiots. With finally, number one. my number one reason why it sucks to be a Cowboys fan, the Cowboys are going all the way next year, baby. Going all the way. Hopefully they re-sign Tony Pollard. Zeke is willing to take less money to stay in Dallas. We know Dak Prescott's going to bounce back, right? It's like every other year he has a monster year. Well, that monster year is next year, boys and girls. There's no more 15 interceptions to lead the NFL. And by the way, you know that defense is going to be sharper than ever. Nice try. And that's my top 10 list. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, Royals make a couple of trades. This is where Troy Coverdale takes over and tells us good trades, bad trades. A little hot stove after this. We continue with the game. Mitch Fortner and Troy Coverdale. Numbers 537-1350. Let's jump right into it, Troy, because I know you put some uh, notes together for us. I'm really excited to hear about it because uh, Kansas City Royals getting a little bit of hot stove on. Oh. 
Wow. So I remember back <laughs> in the day, we used to have a segment called Hot Stove when it was uh, John, Tyler, and me. What it was was when the Royals were good, right? 14, 15, 16, in the offseason, we were falling in a lot closer. It was a lot more interesting. Things have changed over the years, and the Royals have been a bit sloppy. But the Royals making some moves. J.J. Piccolo making a couple of trades, one yesterday and one today. So here is quickly, I'll try to let you break it down here in just a moment, but yep. real quick, here are the trades. Royals have traded outfielder Michael A. Taylor, who won a gold glove during his time with Kansas City, to the Minnesota Twins for two minor league pitchers. 25-year-old lefty Evan Sisk and right-handed pitcher Stephen Cruz. And also, uh, infielder Alberto Mondesi has been traded to the Red Sox for pitcher Josh Taylor, who did not pitch last year uh, due to a back injury. But he is 29 years old and at a 3.40 ERA in 2021. So, Troy, you are the baseball expert. You know the Royals like anybody else, more than anybody else maybe. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but okay. I, I, I at least you, have a passing knowledge, yes. You know a yeah, thing or no, two, I'm you're a, a fan. You're a big baseball guy, so I think you, you have the credentials to let us know, are these good trades, are these bad trades, and what does it mean? One of the things that I am looking for from the Monacy deal today is, is Josh Taylor going to be able to come back well from his back injury that cost him all of last season? In other words, what the Royals did today in making this trade with the Red Sox was trade one player who has been injury-prone for one who spent all of last year sidelined. I'm not real high on the outcome in that aspect, but... It does get away from it does get the fans at least away from a bit of their frustration as it pertains to Alberto Mondesi, who played in all of sixty one games in the last two seasons. Not even that, actually. Fifty the last two seasons. The best that he has had, one oh two back in nineteen. Everything else has been well beneath that. And Taylor actually in his last season before uh, going on the IL last year for the back surgery appeared in 61 games. As a pitcher, out of the bullpen, solid strikeout numbers above the major league average. His walk numbers are a little on the high side, which has been a problem for the Royals as it pertains to their pitching staff. And so if he's able to get back to even what he was doing in Boston two seasons ago, that's a pretty good pickup for the Royals. But again, coming off back surgery, I'm awfully leery. As for last night's move, the trade of Michael A. Taylor to the Twins, if you look at it from just a strictly hitting standpoint or defending standpoint, from a hitting standpoint, okay, Michael A. had a decent mark at 254 last year. From a defensive standpoint, won a gold glove in 21. And that is awfully hard to replace in center field, especially. But the Royals, recognizing that they need to build their pitching staff, because that has been the weakest link, really, for this team the last few years. They go after a couple of prospects, high-level prospects from the Twins, in Sisk and Cruz. Cruz is interesting. 6'7". 
6-7, a relief pitcher. That's going to be very interesting to watch. Sisk is a serviceable guy coming in, but the fact of the matter is is that Taylor had been mentioned as really a chip that the Royals had been looking to get rid of even last year at the trade deadline, so not all that surprising other than they're able to pull a couple of young prospect pitchers away from a divisional rival. Yeah, and the Royals, from what I was reading, was wanting to beef up the bullpen, get some more lefties in there, because I think they just had one. Yes. Again, one of the flaws, but also, and, and this, I, I, I brought it up, you know, in bringing up the, uh, in bringing up Josh Taylor's numbers, walks have killed this team in terms of pitching over the last two seasons. Way too many walks, and being able to work around those uh, has has just been a wear and tear item on the Royals as a whole. It will be interesting with this new staff in place, what do these prospects come up with, and how does it work from there? Now the infield changes because Alberto Montesi, well, I mean, we're going to get Bobby Witt at shortstop, yes. most likely Nicky Lopez at second. Who okay? So who plays third base? Would that be for right Dozier? now? It'd be Dozier. Okay, that plays. Okay, I mean they, Adam Adalberto Montesi, five five years of trying to nurse the guy, nurse the guy, have him an everyday guy, injury prone like hell. When he does play though, man, does he have power? Power at the with the bat, base stealer. Hour two, the game's next.